Hi, everyone. Just give us a little second. Um, <laughs> hey, Nick. I'm just going to give it one more minute until we start. All right, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Jack. I'm the founder of The Broad Place. And we call ourselves a school, and we focus on primarily three things, helping people expand their creativity, their clarity, and their consciousness. Um, first up, I just wanted to say thank you for your patience. Uh, live video streaming is not something that I normally do. I'm normally in person as a teacher, so welcome to my bedroom. Uh, it's the only room in the house that we could get the cable to fit so that we can actually get enough uh, internet <laughs> uh, to plug in. So. Um, thank you for that. And, and also Zoom, I'm not really super familiar with. So um, what I'm going to do is hopefully you guys are all muted um, just to reduce feedback and so forth. But there's a little down the bottom of your screen, if you're new to chat, there's a, uh, sorry, new to Zoom, there's a little button called chat. And you can jump on in there and I'll ask you guys to share some things with me as we go and you can just type it into the chat. Um, can I get everyone to just give me the city that they're in just so I can get a feeling for where everyone is tuning in from. And so you literally just go to chat down the bottom and then you'll be able to start to share that from London, Bath, New York, New York, Stockholm, uh, New York, yes, epidemic, <laughs> pandemic epicenter, Marlowe, London, Madrid, uh, North Carolina, New Zealand, amazing, um, uh, Dublin, Stockholm, London, Poland, London, okay, beautiful, this is so exciting. Um, honestly, it's a privilege and it's a pleasure to be able to, to share this time with you. We've got an hour together, a uh, suite in London, uh, we've got an hour together and I mapped out, I'm an avid note taker, so I've mapped out all the things that I wanted to discuss with you guys. But anytime as we go, um, you can just pop little notes and things um, within that chat and I'll be able to just keep glancing over and seeing how you go. The, it was really challenging when to choose uh, from the, the breadth um, of topics that we could discuss. Um, what was going to be the most valuable and what, what was going, what's going to be, give you, what I hope to give you, the takeaway that I hope to give you is that you walk away feeling refreshed in regards to your perspective, but also with a little bit more purpose and some tools on how to deal with the current situation. Um, I mean, it's just nuts. We've never seen anything like this. And I see the way a lot of uh, spiritual teachers are handling the situation. Um, and it's really, really interesting. And I think that if you've ever been through a level of personal trauma um, or had really just terrible things happen to you in your life, um, sort of wiping the slate with like, oh, this is all just evolution, um, which although it's true for me, just doesn't really cut the mustard. It's just not the time or not the place to be uh, discussing things in that way because we in hindsight are able to see the path that our evolution gives us. But when we're in the thick of it, when the thick of the challenge, uh, it's, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. So what I wanted to discuss tonight is without getting too broad speaking and esoteric, I really wanted to pin down into what are some ideas, some philosophies, what's some seeds that we can plant that you can start to harvest in your life and how do we lean into these beautiful traditions, Eastern traditions and wisdom 
and then draw from them, from their experience and strengths, and then also combine it with what we now know of the physiology and the psychology and the neuroscience of what it means to be a human being having a stressful, traumatic experience. Um, so I, let's see how we go. Um, I, I wanted to introduce, first of all, this concept that I absolutely loved. And it's a, I study Taoism quite a lot, and it's a beautiful philosophy. If I had to sort of summarize it uh, somewhat crudely, it would be that it's about aligning ourselves with nature. So that's not necessarily nature as in the outside exterior. It's also with our truth, our nature. And there's always, there's this description that's used frequently, which is that they refer to Shen, which is heaven. Uh, and it's not heaven as we know it in regards to it being, say, a religious um, ideology, but it means that that higher consciousness, that, that connectivity, um, the connection to the thing that permeates absolutely everything. There's a real beauty to this idea of this heaven energy. And then they say there's earth energy, which is the grounding and the rooting, um, the stability. And so as humans, our role is to at all times be earthed and connected to heaven. And they say the only place that hell exists is inside the human mind. And the reason the rationale behind this is that if you're only connected to the grounding earth energy and you're also only connected to that beautiful heaven energy, then the, there is no hell. Whereas for us as humans, what we have the capacity to do with a prefrontal cortex and a neural system that is like ours is, is that not only do we get to experience the world, but we also get to think about how we're experiencing the world. And this creates a myriad of challenges for us. So through, if we take this idea and we look at this, the lens through which we view everything, I want you to think of it um, just through the lens of awareness. So basically our awareness uh, and our attention is through how everything is filtered in and out. And there's a lovely, uh, in Taoism, they talk really beautifully about what energy am I going to give this? So any situation in life, asking ourselves, what, what energy do I want to give this situation or this moment in time? Uh, and what, 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 how am I going to disperse my attention in regards to that? And I think this is really important in the, at the moment because our attention is being completely, uh, you know, pulled out in every direction. So I'm sure you guys are like me. Uh, you have social media, you have uh, access to the internet, obviously, and there is a like just not so much information coming in. And I'm going to go out on a limb, but I'm going to assume that you're probably like me in that you also have, you're in contact with a lot of people, probably more contact than you've had for quite some time. And so there's a lot of information coming in. So there's two things that I really want to break down in regards to this. The question, what energy will I give this, is going to be really important in regards to how do we engage and interact with the attention, with our attention? So where are we going to invite in certain pieces of information, uh, certain types of conversation? Um, and where are we going to learn to be present and close off to it? So what that might look like, for example, is just being a little more structured around the kinds of uh, news channels that we might follow. And then creating time zones, like times of the day in which we are checking to see what's happening. Um, so limiting our energy expenditure so that we have enough energy in the bank to also 
work with the things that are really counting, uh, which is our health, our mental health, our spiritual practices and taking care of the people that we love. And so we, if you look at it as this, like, you know, this, just say, if you looked at, there's this much energy in your day. So you've got a, a glass full of energy. And if you take frequent little tiny sips, you know, and you not, you don't give yourself a lot of time to process that, but you also don't give yourself a lot of time um, to do anything else in between because you're just constantly sipping, it's going to, you're going to get to the end of the day and realize that your energy is really depleted. So if we can say, all right, I'm going to, when I check the news or when I check social media, I do just that. So I really, truly, with my energy, when I am present to anything and every task I'm doing, I'm going to be 100% present to that task. So when I'm checking the news, I'm checking the news. When I'm checking Instagram, I'm checking Instagram. Not checking Instagram, sort of watching Netflix and kind of having a conversation and making a cup of tea at the same time. Um, just if this beautiful idea of doing, which we call mindfulness. So originally it was a Buddhist concept uh, of presence and then it got rebranded and <laughs> it's mindfulness. Um, but it's this idea of being completely present too. And if we look at this idea that hell only exists in our minds, if our minds aren't even actually present to the tasks that we're doing, we do create a sort of hell for ourselves. And so the first thing I want to plant with you is this idea of presence. How do you do what you're doing fully there, right? What you'll notice is that you're able to tap into a more unbounded energy that what happens is when we, um, you know, slice up our presence into little pieces. So we're doing three or four tasks at once, which we, you know, used to call multitasking, uh, which I like to call mashing, which is like mashing two things together. What occurs when that happens is that we are sort of giving 20% here and 30% here and maybe 40% there and so forth. And so we're never really living through the things that we're doing and we get to the end of the day and we're exhausted. Now, the mind, brain and body start to assimilate this process and they start going, well, you know what, we need to really tamp down on the energy reserves. So you'll notice you start to feel a little bit more fatigued, tired and in general exhausted. Can I get you guys to comment in the chat right now if you've noticed that your fatigue levels, even though you might not physically be doing as much, have increased. You feel a little more overwhelmed, exhausted, and fatigued. If you guys can just type that into the chat. Um, we've got exhausted for sure. Um, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. So this is from this en our energy source being, um, yeah, I'm sleeping nine hours. I'm still feeling tired. Yeah, okay, great. Um, I got, you mean I shouldn't be texting at the same time as this Zoom? I don't mean if you mean texting on your mobile, in which case, no, just be on Zoom, but being part of the chat is okay. Um, so what happens is, I think of this word, this channel for this incredible source of energy. And if we keep frivol being frivolous with it and, and, and sending it off in all these different directions, then we're not going to have the same reserves of energy. So if you, for the rest of the evening or day, if you're in the States, um, and I know some of you are clicking in from Australia and New Zealand very early in the morning, but if you said, okay, I'm just going to run this experiment and for the next 24 hours, I'm going to be completely present to everything I do. So in Zen, they say, you know, when raking the leaves, rake the leaves. When drinking tea, drink tea. When chopping wood, chop wood. Now for us, you know, that's when checking Instagram, check Instagram. When having a shower, have a shower. When preparing a meal, prepare a meal. When eating a meal, just eat the meal. And I really want you to experiment with this. Like, and you'll notice how often you have to keep returning to it because we've trained ourselves to be really um, fractured with our attention. 
So this concept of presence is going to take a lot of work. Now, the beautiful opportunity that lies for us is we've got time on our side at the moment uh, in that we've got more effectively um, space and time because a lot of us aren't commuting and so forth. So you'll be amazed at how if this, a lot of my students are getting to the end of the day and going, I don't know what's going on. Like some are working from home and homeschooling uh, or dealing with toddlers and a whole bunch of things. Um, but regardless of how much you've got on, you still notice like I technically should have more time. And yet I just feel completely frazzled at all moments. So presence is going to be the key coming back to not mashing, coming back to the task at hand and then asking ourselves the question, what energy do I want to give this, this task? Now, ideally, it's 100%. Uh, in Zen, they talk about burning yourself up. So you do every task so that you're completely alive with it, so that there's no dross, no uh, shadow, no, nothing hanging around at the end of it. Such a beautiful idea. So the first part is being present to it. And then the second part is like, what level of attention and energy do I want to give this thing that I'm giving, uh, that I'm doing and I'm engaging with? Because ideally, all of it because it's an, it creates an abundance of that. And there's, um, if you guys have heard of the concept of yin and yang, uh, yang is an, so there are two types of energy and yang energy is, uh, so it's a Chinese philosophy. Yang is very uh, modern and, and the way we live. So it's about pushing and trying and it's about being out. It's about being showy. Uh, it's very activity driven. Um, and then yin is the opposite. So yin is inward. It's contemplative. It's considered. It's about pausing and resting in peace. And it's the opposite of yang. Now, we need both energies. So we have the polarity of both energies and we're incredibly important. And we want to, if we align to nature, you'll notice that the seasons, there's a yang season, which is summer. And then there's a yin season, which is autumn and winter, which is the pairing back and the coming inwards. Um, there's yang and yin foods. Uh, there's an abundance um, of things that we engage in all the time. Like coffee can be very yang, um, whereas like a herbal tea would be more yin. So you start to be able to work with these polarities. I mean, they're conversations. You can have a very yang conversation or you can have a very yin conversation. So you'll start to be able to work with these. And I want you to start thinking about if you have lived a predominant, if you've lived a predominantly yang life, then the correction, the balancing that can take place now is you, that you get to possibly uh, engage in some yin energy. But how can you do that in a way where it's coveted and appreciated and luxuriated in? And this is something that I think once the trauma, the instant shock and trauma of what's occurring starts to peter out a little bit and we start to learn to stabilize in the, what I'm calling the new world. Um, you know, I said to casually to Aaron uh, a couple of days ago, I was like, you know, when everything goes back to normal and he was like, there is no normal. Like the, we, we have to create the new normal. Like the, we will never be able to go back to normal anymore because of the ongoing effects of what's occurring right now. And part of me was sort of, of course, it was so obvious. And part of me was a little bit shocked and horrified. And part of me was sort of like, oh God, this is, there's part of this, it's amazing. There's a, there's a portion of this experience, which is so ripe and so 
open for opportunity. Um, and I'm a naturally, naturally very yang individual. So I'm an extrovert and I like to be out in the world and I love to be sharing and communicating. And um, I've had to train myself through a lot of Eastern methodologies and um, practices uh, to be, um, Nick, I see that sarcasm, um, to be very, uh, to have yin practices. And I want you to ask yourself the question, if you're naturally very yin, is there something more yang? What opportunity does this present for you in regards to connectivity, um, even though you technically might be indoors? But what is the, what's the yang energy you can bring to things? So if you prepare, you know, like more inward, maybe, you know, I know there's a lot of people doing online dance parties, particularly with Ryan Heffington and they look amazing. Um, but it's like, what, what's something I can really come out of myself? If you're naturally very yang, what are the practices that you can do to come into yourself? And just start to see this as this remarkable gift and opportunity because our mindset in this moment is going to be everything. It's happening anyway. And so are we going to go kicking and screaming or are we going to go with arms open? And I really think that the arms open opportunity is the one that we want to be embracing. There's this beautiful term, avidya. It's a Sanskrit word. And I think a lovely definition of it is the absence of the knowledge of our true self. And without this knowledge of our true self, of what we really are, what starts to happen is that we make it up. And most of who we are, we've made up. So it's societal conditioning. It's how we've been raised as kids. Uh, it's how our friends have inputted and the colleagues that we work with and, and the, the sort of sub-communities that we've always engaged with. And we start to build up an architecture around our identity. And we don't have this vidya, which is the true self, this knowledge of the true self, we, we, we lack it. At the moment, without the, the, the trimmings, the societal trimmings that a lot of us, um, you know, where my, my girlfriend in New York said it perfectly, like a lot of her friends are freaking out because, you know, what you wear, where you go out for, to drink and to eat, um, who you hang out with, where you go on the weekends, they're the barometers of your identity and then they're gone right now. And so it's a really destabilizing experience. Um, that, that, you know, you might not live in New York, but you'll notice that you'll, you'll have a level of that happening in your life. And so if you start to, this is this idea of this yin and yang. I mean, New York as an energy is very, very yang. Um, but if you start to have this exploration of like, how do I discover in this moment, now that the things that I used to depend on, which is effectively a house of cards, the things that I used to depend on to define myself are now being stripped away. Um, the house of cards has been blown over. How am I going to rebuild myself? How am I going to really start to define how I'm going to, the new world, how I'm going to step into this new world? And there's a lovely, um, I love this, uh, this idea. There's, there's an anagram, which is what's a win. And in any moment asking myself, like, how do I create a win? And win stands for W-I-N, what's important now? And it's been something that, in the, particularly in the last few days, um, we, we had a really tricky last week as a family. We had to put our dog down. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to stay in our apartment. Um, you know, both of our dreams and careers for the year with everything that we had planned, a book that we'd you know, spent three years working on and um, some amazing partnerships with various brands and ambassador roles and touring, uh, retreats, everything we do is in person. Um, you know, mostly. And so that all got decimated and it took 
some time in amongst all of this shock, you know, our daughter not being in school anymore, you know, like everyone's going through. It took some time for me to really, I was basically doing all my spiritual practices, but in essence also just kind of going through the motions in this state of shock and then sort of like popped out the other side. And this idea of like what's important now has been my guiding grace for the last couple of days. And when I feel lost, I look at, okay, how do, what's the win at the moment? Like what's important in this moment? What's now, right now? Not like what's important for the next two months or what's important for the next year. It's what's important in this hour. And it might be getting some vitamin D and sitting in the sun because the sun's out. It might be stop, get off my computer and sit down with a beautiful cup of tea. And I've also noticed without any transit, so having to move between things, my ability to sit still, I'm ADHD, so not as in distracted, like actually diagnosed ADHD. Um, so for me personally, I've really noticed that without the movement, that yang energy, I've actually been able to really favor what's important. So if having a cup of tea is the present thing that I'm doing, I just sit there and it's been quite beautiful. So I want, if I'm having a conversation with my daughter, I'm just having a conversation with my daughter. I'm not kind of checking what time I need to do that to get that bus to get over here to get to the metro. And, you know, so it's, I want you to sort of start to go, okay, what's important now? What's my win in this moment? And then keep asking yourself, like keep reminding yourself every half an hour, every hour, is it reaching out to someone you love? Is it actually saying to someone you love, I can't talk right now because I'm overwhelmed? Is it, it's like, what's the most important thing that I can do in this moment? This I hope will give you a one foot in front of the other. Um, do you guys like this idea? Can I get you guys to comment uh, about this idea of a win? What's important now? It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, great. Um, there's also another one that I wanted to share with you guys. And Eddie Stern is a yoga teacher and he wrote, oh my gosh, I don't know where his book is. I had it out before. Um, I can't remember the title. Uh, one Simple Thing. Uh, it's a lovely book. I really recommend it. Um, he had a high school teacher. So I went to see him talk when he launched his book here in London. And he had a high school teacher that said, if you can answer these three questions, then you'll always know what you're meant to be doing. And the first one is, who am I? So it's the, it's the primary question. Who am I? And in Eastern teachings, so um, stemming from Vedanta, which is the lineage through which I teach, uh, what am I is really the way that's questioned. Um, and it's uh, if you can come to the discovery of what you truly are, then life falls into place. And a lot of the time we're not asking that question. We're asking, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and, you know, this idea of who am I? And I want you to start picking this apart. So if you want to make a little note of it, who am I? What, what, what am I really and truly? Am I a soul? Am I bigger than that? Am I smaller than that? Am I uh, one of 7.7 billion people on the face of the earth? Am I important? Am I not important? Um, really starting to pull back. Actually, give me, a, give me a sec. I want to read you guys something. Hang on. I'm just going to disconnect for two seconds. One of my, um, oh, let me just reconnect. One of my favorite uh, books, which I would highly recommend reading, it's a bit, of an, it's a bit obscure, it's a little odd, um, but it's very, very beautiful, is How to Cook Your Life. It's this book here. Um, I'll send everyone an email that's attended. Um, but it's such a, such a gorgeous book. So uh, uh, Dogen Zenji was a really famous uh, Zen uh, teacher, and he wrote this little tiny book called Instructions for the Cook. Um, 
And I read this tiny little thing in here before, which I was like, oh, that's so gorgeous. Oh my God, typically, I've got so many markers in this book. Oh, here we are. Okay, he says, in Buddhism, when the term die or big is used, it never means big as compared to small. If we think of big in that way, it becomes only a relative comparison that reveals nothing about what really big is. Compared with an electron, for example, a flea's balls are enormous, but compare them to a whale, and the whale is obviously much larger. Compared with the Earth, a whale is very small, and compared with the galaxy, the Earth is infinitesimal. If you think the Milky Way is big, it is nothing compared with the space of the universe. Is the universe then the biggest thing? Hardly, since the scale of the universe as the largest entity is nothing more than a concept in our minds. And what are we, human beings, but a kind of fungus that lives on the surface of the earth. So therefore, what is big and what is small? Do you guys like that? I love it. Um, it, it gives you this sort of, what gives me this expansive, beautiful idea of what's really going on uh, when we think of ourselves as important, important little people going about our business. And so when you ask the question, who am I? I want you to ask it through the lens of a much of that big mind die this much larger broader spectrum of who are you um in a much bigger terminology not who am i i'm jackie um you know my last name was doyle but now it's lewis and i'm a mom and I'm, you know not through your roles but what is your soul you know that that's really like not through the things that you are doing the second question is what am i doing here Okay, and I love this one. I want to interpret, um, I'm going to provide a little bit of interpretation. Um, but what am I doing here? I want you to think of why was I born at the particular time that I was born so that I get to experience this crisis and this pandemic at the age that I am? Like, what, what am I doing here? What, what, is, what is really happening here? What, um, and in that, um, really starting to get clear because if you follow uh, spiritual lineages and streams of thought, the, the concurrent theme through all of them is that nothing happens by accident. Everything happens for a reason. Um, I always find that easy to swallow when something's going my way. <laughs> like everything happens for a reason. I find it harder to stomach when things are not going what I perceive my way. I find that really tricky. Um, the idea of surrendering to something that I've deemed not good, bad, awful, uh, incorrect. Um, but this idea of, okay, if I can let, let, uh, what's the word? Loosen, the binds of this duality and if I can step more into and soften my views on what I see is right and wrong and get more expansive and bigger, bigger and broader, what am I doing here? Okay, this is a really beautiful question to answer. And then after you've answered who am I and what am I doing here, what next is the third question. What next is like, what's the next right action that I need to take now that I've grounded, grounded down into who am I and what am I doing here? Then I can start to answer what next. And you'll start to really notice that this process, this unpacking is really magnificent. It helps get me out of any kind of small mind funk that I might be in in a moment in time. And it also helps vastly for me to expand into the opportunity that the situation presents, particularly this one, which none of us chose. Um, can you guys chuck into the um, chuck? It's such an Australian term. <laughs> Type into the chat. Um, any thoughts around what you think about that concept around this? Who am I? What am I doing here? And what next?
Do you like it as a framework? Okay, good. It gives perspective. It does, doesn't it? Um, I, I want to walk through, uh, can I give an example? Erica, can you ask, can I give an example of who am I, what am I doing here, what next? Ah, uh, yeah, some of the questions, yeah, they're unbelievably hard to answer. <laughs> okay, so some of the processes, I'll give, share with you some of the ones that I'm going through. Um, so when I'm in my small mind, I'm, yeah, okay, good. This is, <laughs> I'm glad everyone's struggling with this one. It's big. Um, so when I'm in my small mind, my who am I is my roles. I'm a mum. I'm a, you know, I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm trying to make things work. I'm a business owner. I'm a teacher. Uh, they're all my who am I's. Okay. Um, when I'm in my big mind, who am I is a soul that's been incarnated into human body that is having a human experience. So I'm spirit having human experience. Does that, so that, and then I can go, okay, that, that feels much bigger than my embodying my roles. And I'm going to just move through this a little bit briefly. There's more, a lot more that could be said about this. Um, what am I doing here? In my small mind, what I'm doing is chucking an absolute shit fit. Um, I'm panicked. What am I doing here? Uh, why do we move to London? We should have like, you know, made different choices. We should have, um, you know, and it, I become very panicked in my thinking, like, what am I doing here in London? Should I be back in Australia? Should I, that, can you see the energy is also quite panicky. Like, why am I, I becomes very geographical as well. And I find that it becomes quite like literal. Okay. When I think about from my small mind, what am I doing here? When I get into a bigger mindset, what am I doing here? Why do I, why am I in London while this pandemic hits? And, you know, I, I start to ask the question, okay, well, I'm, I must be here for a reason because here I am. And so how can I be of service? What are the things that are available to me being in this part of the world that are available um, for me to use as a conduit and as an experience? Um, how do I, uh, what am I doing here? Like, how do I, you know, am I here to be a service or am I here to service just myself? Am I here to, to share with others? Um, or am I here just to worry about myself and my own family? Can you see, can you see how that one starts to move around? It starts to get a bit broader. And then the, what am I doing here starts to become like more of a, what is my soul's purpose? So if I recognize that who am I as a soul in a human body, how am I going to use this experience of being here, this little soul incarnated in the human? How am I going to use this experience so that I can learn everything that I can, so that I can evolve, so that I can actively evolve, not get dragged along behind a situation, but actually engage with it and really juice the situation for all it's worth? How can I learn about what am I doing here with all my preconceived biases and ideas with my giant ego that's now rising to the surface and stomping its foot and going, it shouldn't be like this. Does that, so what am I doing here becomes much broader and bigger. The third one, what next? Once you've sort of gotten into that much broader perspective, what next is going to be different depending on the, the question, the uh, situation that you're trying to ask. But from that perspective of being a, a little human, um, my what next is how do I keep coming back into my heart and moving from my heart and ensuring that even though I might be scared and even though I might not know, I don't also want to move through my ego. I don't want to be making decisions based on fear. I want to be making decisions based on my on love and my heart and an honoring of who I really am. 
Um, so that's sort of the way you can break it down. And you don't have to find an answer. I'm looking at these great little questions. You don't have to find an answer to a lot of them and you won't know for a long time. Um, I've been looking into this for 20 years and I'm still piecing it together, but it is defining. You can see like, what is your purpose here on earth? Defining who you truly are, what you truly are, and then letting that inform your decisions and your responses in the world. It, it'll take some time if you are new to this kind of work, but it's also the whole, I think it's the whole reason why we're here is to be, is to work these kind of questions out. Um, they're really beautiful. They're in Zen, they call them koans, which are things that almost like what the sound of one hand clapping, like what is that? And if a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it, you know, does it, does it even make a sound? They're all Zen koans and they're basically designed to sort of almost like, they're so hard to answer that the mind almost breaks in the process, like a little shell and shatters. And then you can actually see through them. So they're, they're designed to be juicy and long lasting. So don't think you have to answer them all like immediately, but I really want you to pose the question to yourself. <clears throat> when I started sort of leaning in then um, to this idea of the heart and Something that I learned, which is that the heart is 5,000 times stronger on a magnetic field level than um, the mind. So 5,000 times stronger is a lot. And a lot of the time what we're doing is we're trying to navigate the situation through our thinking mind. Now, our mind is a really valuable tool in that it is, you know, it can help us with math, it can help us with getting from A to B. But what it does is it only knows what it's been taught. So I want you to think of your mind as a, it knows everything from behind it up until this moment and only that. Now, in a situation like the moment that we're in, where everything is now unknown, using the same methodology and thinking and patterns that got us to this moment, it's redundant. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It really um, doesn't allow us to be creative and innovative in the first place. It robs us of being present as well because we're thinking about what we should be doing or tell me um, and I get you guys to do a little guess. You ever had a conversation and you realize that you're not really listening because you're worrying about what you're going to say next. Have you, you know, you sort of like, yeah, yeah, I want you to finish so that I can get to the story that I was going to tell or I'm going to tell. Um, that moment where you go, oh, hang on, I'm not really present in this moment. <laughs> yeah, everyone has. Um, so this idea is like when we use our mind to navigate anything, then we're not actually we're not present. So using the mind even, even more so in the moment, uh, in this current time in climate, it's not helpful because it doesn't have the infrastructure, the mechanics, it doesn't have the guidebook um, on what to do next because we haven't seen this before. So instead of honoring our mind, what I would love you to do is start to work out how can you reconnect back to source? So source, I want you to think of it, you can re refer to it as the divine or universal energy. I also heart is a really lovely way to define that. And in uh, India, when people say namaste, they don't touch their head. It's not like not what they're honoring. Uh, namaste is I honor the light. What I see in you, I see in me. What I see in me is what I see in you is the truncated version. But, you know, in India, what they do is they touch their heart when they say it. So it's either in the prayer or it's with a single heart. Um, hand. I love it in the south of India. They really, it's like this gentle, gentle touching of the heart with one hand and it's an honoring. And I want you to think of this idea of, okay, with my heart, how am I going to honor and connect back to my heart rather than my head? And I want to give you some tools in which to do that. Um, the first is reserving our judgment. So 
we have this obsession, and this is where the mind comes into play, of creating right and wrong. Um, the mind works in dualities, it works in opposites, it loves opposites. <clears throat> doesn't like sitting in the gray, doesn't like not knowing. Um, there's a beautiful teacher uh, called Sung San that I've been uh, talking a lot about lately, uh, who's a Korean monk who's passed now, but he talked, he called it don't know mind. And he said when he came from Korea to the West, he was just so shocked in America at everyone's need to know all the time. And he's like, wow, you'd, you'd actually prefer to be wrong um, than admit you don't know. You'd prefer to have an opinion, even if unfounded and not validated, and to at least look like you knew something than sit with don't know. And when I heard him first talking about this, it really like, triggered me because I was like, oh God, I could recognize that I did that as well. This obsession to like, no, look like you know. Um, and so th what the mind does is it wants to put everything black and white. That's good, that's bad, that's okay, that's not okay. And so this is where judgment breeds. And at the moment while we're in the face of a crisis, I mean, honestly, at any moment, we would love to sort of gen uh, turn down the volume on our judgment, insanely hard to do. But particularly at the moment, it's ripe with opportunity to judge, you know, how they're handling the crisis versus how I'm handling the crisis and my, how my parents are handling it or my friends. Or you can imagine the internal dialogue that you'll have. The government's doing the right thing. That government's doing the wrong thing. We've got the most remarkable opportunity right now to go, ah, I can become really aware of how much in every moment I'm judging and can I learn to sit in between the judgments and the gap? So reserve my judgment. That's going to be the first one. The second one is meditate. Uh, I mean, I'm a meditation teacher, so of course I'm going to be banging on about meditation because I've made it my, my life's purpose. I think it's just the most remarkable tool. If you already meditate, Sharpen your pencil, no distractions, discipline, keep getting in the chair. Um, if you meditate once a day, you might want to increase to twice a day. If you have studied um, uh, integrated meditation, transcendental meditation, Vedic meditation, they're all from the same lineage, but you really want to be doing your twice daily practice. If you've never meditated before, now's your opportunity. Um, if you'd like to come and learn with me, I can teach you online and then you can come and learn in person once the band's lifted as well. Um, but it, there's so many, there's apps, there's a million things that you can do. Um, I've got a question here, views on three daily in a current climate. Um, honey, I'm going to answer that in the integrated meditation meeting because that's going to be specific to our technique. <laughs> um, but I, for anyone that is like brand new, just find a practice for the moment, find anything that you can and just start the discipline of sitting down. Um, the reason I like to teach transcending technique, uh, a transcending technique is because I think that we have so much input right now that a guided meditation, which is just listening to something is another form of input. We actually need to transcend all the noise and return to heart, return back to the source. Um, but in this moment, whatever you can do to get you through is going to be a building block that once we start to navigate and move our way out of this crisis, I want you to start to put into place the things that you look back on and be like, wow, that was so brilliant. And I deal with, I mean, a lot of our students that come to the Broad Place have come because of crisis. Um, the rug's been pulled out from underneath them. They've suffered a trauma or a shock. Um, things so horrific, you can't even imagine them. I mean, the stories that people have told me have just perpetually continually blown my mind uh, is to humans ability to continue to move through the most challenging situations. Um, and the thing that happens as they kind of transition and move through that is they're always really grateful at the opportunities that are presented. They usually get their 
um, priorities in order, they work out their values, they learn to meditate, they look after their physical and their mental health, and they shift what they, where they were putting their attention, their energy, sometimes a little bit, but most often dramatically, they realize that the way in which they were living was not sustainable or in alignment with who, how they really wanted to live um, when given a terminal diagnosis, for example. So I want you to view this as this beautiful opportunity to go, all right, you know what? Hell yeah, I'm going to step up and step into this. Um, I'm going to dive in to my life in a way that I previously was not. I might have been ignoring certain things. I might have been like, oh, I'll do it later. I've got heaps of time. Um, I'll tend to that stuff later. Um, and so matters of the soul and the heart, these are the things you want to be diving into. And I see meditation as this brilliant shortcut to that. Being kind and loving is the other one that I really want everyone to put their attention on. So the heart is there to be kind and to, and to express love. Um, I want you to practice inwards and outwards kindness and love. So how do you every day start with the intention of being kind and loving towards yourself? And how do you every day extend kindness and love out? Um, we want in Vedanta, there's this idea of oneness. Uh, there is it, the energy has to come in for it to go out. It has to go out for it to come in. And we want to be able to be really extending both at the same time. Um, so that's a question you can ask yourself. And the other thing I want you to do is tend to gratitude. And this is really beautiful. So I want you to see gratitude. Um, yes, it's a practice, but I want you to see it as like a little garden that needs tending to, right? So it needs this nurturing and gratitude needs attention and it needs engagement. It's a, it's a doing, you know, it's a, something that we get to engage with. It's a, it's a partial action. So at the moment, um, actually, you know what I'd love? I'd love for you to share with me in the chat things that you have noticed you're insanely grateful for. So, you know, I used to complain about the London weather, <laughs> like everyone in London, and now it's been sunny for the last couple of days and I am like a true Londoner. It's 12 degrees. I'm out there in my bikini top and like getting some rays. I've never been more grateful for vitamin D. Um, moving my body. Yeah, absolutely. Like the things that you're like, oh my God, my health, my ability to breathe. Trees, so beautiful. Walking to a beach at the end of the road. Like the things that, the silence, that's so nice. My garden, time alone eating well, nourishing food, spring and sunshine, um, mowing my mum's lawn, space at home, my health and having a garden, my backyard, so much stillness, food, 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 <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, freedom and the breeze and the parks nearby, family and friends, going for a walk, my dogs. These are all so beautiful. These are the things that count. Um, when I teach, um, when I taught in corporate workplaces, um, you know, particularly with like financial traders and so forth, um, it was really interesting when it came to gratitude, the things that people would really engage with. And there were all the things that you've mentioned here, cups of tea, birdsong, there with my puppy. Um, and it all came down to predominantly being with people and animals that I love, um, being in nature. You can do that in the city, you know, uh, being, having time for myself, uh, experiencing peace, freedom, and stillness and being a loving person. And so this is just, if we can come back to this and keep like every moment that we can harvest more gratitude, the more abundant we are. And you know, the beautiful thing about trauma is it completely shocks the nervous system. It completely shocks the neural pathways. And so the grace in that is that we get to rewire our experience of the world. 
And so if in every moment you tend to gratitude, you, 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 you know, you put care into it, what you'll start to notice is that, um, this beautiful rewiring of your experience with the world will happen. And I want you to think of this again. I keep using this word opportunity and gift, but it really is. It's like use the new neural plasticity of your brain because at this moment, it's like a little Bambi trying to get, you know, our nervous systems, our consciousness, our little Bambi is trying to like learn how to walk again because we just, we, we are literally creating a new existence for ourselves. So in that neural plasticity, really start to go, okay, reserving my judgment, being kind and loving, intending to gratitude and meditating are going to be the markers for me to be able to move through the world in a totally new way. Um, can I just get some feedback? Do you guys like those ideas? Is that something that you're interested in? Something that you go, oh yeah, that, that's juicy and something I'm going to tend to. Okay. Lots of yeses. Good, good, good. <laughs> okay, great. Um, <clears throat> Another one, and I know I am just absolutely flogging you guys with concepts and downloads and ideas. I'm recording this, um, as you can see, uh, on two devices. So we're, I'm going to find a way to get this up online um, so that you can re-listen to this. Um, and we might even look at trying to get the transcription done if there's ideas that you want to pull out of this. And I had the option tonight to go, <clears throat> I've got an hour. I can either go gently and graceful, you know, be really beautiful. Or I can just go, I've got an hour, let's go. <laughs> and, um, because as well, it's a, it's a gift to you all. I wanted to make it as filling and as juicy as I can. Um, but even if you take one little thing from this, I'm happy. Um, the next one is posing the question. So this is a really, really lovely one, which is what am I seeking in any moment? And it's one that I've learned to ask. And sometimes the answers are a little bit shocking. Um, and it's this idea that we have this accumulated conditioning that is governing our behavior. And now that we've got this new plasticity, um, this new opening of our experience and our awareness of the world, we can start to ask the question, what am I really seeking in this moment? Sometimes it's validation. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's acceptance. Sometimes it's kindness, sometimes it's approval, but you can really start to unpack your motives in regards to how you navigate the world based on the idea of what am I seeking? Sometimes it's connection, beautiful. But a lot of the times what we've done is we've geared ourselves to uh, seek approval um, and seek validation and seek acceptance. So this is a really nice opportunity right now while our interaction is somewhat limited because we're not getting dressed and going to work. Um, even though you're working from home, um, you're not going, you know, it's like how you present to the world is really now governed by if you're on video chat. And so, you know, even this video, I was like, oh my God, I can't do it in my bedroom. What the hell? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what am I seeking? Am I seeking to be of service or am I see, worried about validation? Am I concerned that people are going to go, huh? It's not really well lit and that's not a nice space. Can you see how you can ask this question on everything and really start to unpack, am I bringing ego to this or am I bringing heart to this? They're really they're the two polarities. Um, and so I want you to start exploring this. This is going to be a big one. This is going to really reveal to you, um, if you even want to do this one first, if you wanted to ask just the gentle question, what am I seeking in this moment? Um, that will help you ask the question, uh, who am I and what am I doing here? <laughs> in a big way. Um, and then the gift that we all have is that we get to peel back at the moment all of this conditioning. So the societal systems that have been put into place, <clears throat> not necessarily by us, um, but just by society as a whole, 
you've kind of been decimated. You know, this idea of like, what's the value of things and what experiences are worth, what kind of money and what do I really value? Do I value, you know, my muscles or do I value like my, how I look? Do I look buff? Do I look this? Or am I going to value also my mental health? Am I neglecting anything? Am I, have I gone, oh, I'll do all that on a late, at a later date and I haven't tended to my soul and my spirit and my expression of my heart in the world. Um, and so what you can start to answer is, um, or start to peel back is all of that, um, all of that conditioning. And it's just, it's going to be incredible. For those of us that are prepared to step into that <clears throat> somewhat uncomfortable realm, it's going to be quite fascinating. Um, there is The Tao Te Ching is another book, which I absolutely love. And I'll, I'll do the little email. Once I get this talk up online and navigate that, um, I'll send out an email to let you know that it's available online and I'll give you the book references. But the Tao Te Ching, I love the one by Stephen Mitchell. And I also like the illustrated version because it's got all these gorgeous artworks the whole way through it. Um, but I wanted to read to you the verse 24. He who stands on tiptoe doesn't stand firm. He who rushes ahead doesn't go far. He who tries to shine dims his own light. She who defines herself can't know who she really is. She who has the power over others can't empower herself. He who clings to his work will create nothing but endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job and then let go. And I absolutely love this because a lot of the time, all of us are standing on tiptoe, rushing ahead, trying to shine really brightly, trying to define ourselves, using hierarchy to have power over others and clinging to our work as our defining factor in who we are, our identity. If we want to accord with the Tao, which is this universal energy with consciousness, then we just do our job and let go. So that's really also a, um, speaking to being present for everything that we do. It's not saying don't do your work. <laughs> it's saying when you do your work, do your work. When you do each task, do your task and then let that go. So it's, uh, what is my purpose? This is also leaning back into, um, you know, what am I doing here and what next? Um, if I can fully and truly attend to the task at hand, um, whatever that may be, then I will be able to then put it to bed and surrender it afterwards rather than being completely bound in my thoughts about what I should be doing. Um, I was going through my notes uh, preparing for this and I, I found this beautiful um, quote by Sri M, um, which is S-R-I, new word, a letter M, um, who's one of my teachers uh, from India. And I really, really enjoyed this. And he said, grace is always there, but are your windows open? Grace is a beautiful breeze that we simply open our windows to. And I, I just love this. I love this idea that grace is always present. It's not like we have to manufacture it or generate it. It's actually always there, yet we don't open our windows to it. So throughout all of this, sorry, I just felt compelled to share that, um, because I think throughout all, of, while we're even talking about these big ideas and these beautiful concepts, knowing that there is a grace there to support you through this process, uh, and leaning into it is also incredibly important. There's an energy there holding you. The universe is literally gently guiding you if you will allow yourself to be guided. So I really want to touch on that because even though we're talking about concepts here that uh, involve some of the intellect and some philosophy and thinking, I also want you to move through them through, your, through a heart space rather than an intellectual space and not view them as like oh, extra tasks that I have to do. Um, and 
There's something that Sri M has spoken about a lot that I wanted to also share with you. And he always says this, he sort of paraphrases this a lot. Um, Zoe, which phrase would you like me to repeat? The grace one? I'll just do it in case that, okay, yeah. Grace is always there, but are your windows open? Grace is a beautiful breeze that we simply open our windows to. I'll make sure I write it down. I'm gonna circle it now so I know to put it down for you guys when I um when I send out the email. Um there's also uh something that Shreem paraphrases, he talks about this a lot. Uh and it really for me brings it down when we speak about spirituality. And he always says the miracle isn't walking on water or floating on air. That's why we have boats and planes. But the true miracle is being truly present to the world and doing all of our work and living our lives. So I wanna re rephrase that. So the miracle isn't walking on water or floating in the air. And he always jokes, he's like, that's why we have boats and aeroplanes. Um, he says that the real miracle, the true miracle of being a human being is being truly and totally present to every moment of our lives. So that's not running, that's not escaping, that's not shielding or shying away from anything. That includes the pain, the anger, and the resentment that might be, you might be experiencing. If you don't know what spiritual bypassing is, um, I want you to look it up. Spiritual bypassing is, um, it's a dangerous one. Spiritual bypassing is when we're like, oh, I'm so spiritual. I'm just not going to feel any of the anger or any of those emotions or I'm beyond that or I meditate so I don't feel those things anymore. Nonsense. Um, we're a human. Okay, we're a human that meditates, not a meditator as a label. Um, so you will experience a lot at the moment and being truly present to it is the true miracle of being a human being. Um, the idea that we do our work and we live our lives and we go about what we need to do, putting one foot in front of the other, that is the miracle, that we are actually alive to, be even, to even be able to do that. So... I've started really viewing this as this beautiful experience of being broken open to the gift of everything, the mundaneness of being stuck in an apartment. Uh, what is the grace in that? Can I open my heart and open my perception to allow the breeze of grace to flow through all the things that I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that, or I might have been avoiding it. Or if I'm honest, I pay someone else to do like, my bookkeeping or, you know, the things that I don't love doing. Um, you know, that in this moment, it's like, while we're all in lockdown and not always the people that we lean on are available to us, how do we continue to move through the world and honor all of those things? Be truly present to homeschooling. If anyone's homeschooling, you know exactly what I mean. Um, how do I be truly present to every little bit of my life? So I want you to ask yourself the question, like, how do I truly create like accept and embody the miracle that I have that every day I get to breathe that every day I get to wake up and walk and it's a privilege it's not available to everyone and where I think one of the fears at the moment that we're encountering through the invisibility of the coronavirus uh, is that we are starting to realize how unbelievably fragile we are as humans you know the tough guy gig that we used to do and the invincibility we start to realize that we're not, we're actually incredibly fragile and our life is incredibly gifted and an opportunity for us to, to experience the full capacity of being a loving human being. Um, if you have any boundaries around your love, I would like you to start to unpack those and release those. Uh, a teacher once asked me, how big do you think your love is? And it, I really sat and pondered this for a long time. I was like, oh God, like, does it have, like, 
you know, and I realized that I was sort of somewhat loosely creating boundaries around it. And I said, if you truly want to live through your heart, make it unbounded, truly live a life of unbounded love. And that's something that I try to explore every day um, and try not to temper back and hold back on. How do I be a loving human being? Because That's the miracle, isn't it? So can I let you guys, can I get you guys to type? I would love to hear from you in regards to the, if you had one thing that you're going to walk away with, that you were like, that's my little piece. That's my takeaway. Um, I would love to hear what that little piece is. And I know I downloaded a lot. Let me do a little, actually, let me do a little tiny recap. <laughs> so in the beginning, we spoke about the Taoist concept of heaven and earth and the only hell that exists in the human mind. Um, we spoke about our energy and our attention and, you know, where will I, where, if it's a resource, where am I going to invest it and where am I plundering it at the moment? Um, we spoke about the concept of yin and yang uh, and how we, you know, really, um, uh, embody that this yin at the moment, this yin time at this inward time, but also exploring what might yang be if I'm already naturally yin. We spoke about avidya, which is the absence of the knowledge of the true self. And how do we start to explore who our true self really is? Um, pulling back or letting fall the house of cards, the, the paradigms we've created for ourselves, this, the system of beliefs and ideas and prejudice and judgment that we continually um, have created our programming. Um, I shared Eddie Stern's high school teacher's advice, which is who am I, what am I doing here and what next? Uh, what's a win? What's important now? And then we spoke about the heart being this magnetic field and the reconnection to it. Um, reserving my judgment, meditating twice daily, being kind and loving and tending to gratitude. Uh, the idea, the asking of the question, what am I seeking? And the gift that it presents of peeling back anything that we might be seeking that's not actually really aligned with our heart. And then the concept of grace and then also the concept of the miracle of our lives uh, is actually just being truly present to them. It's not all the fancy like walking on water and, you know, walking on air um, and floating, you know, levitating. It's actually so much deeper than that. I'm just going to go through here. You guys are well, you going? <laughs> it's going bananas in the chat. Um, okay. The one with do your job and let go. Uh, oh, I will definitely write that one down. So that's the Taoist. I have to find it. I've, I've left the, if you want to record with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. So it's be present to, and you have to let go of it to then be present to the next moment of life. Um, lots of grace, lots of win. Um, what's important now, diving in gratitude. Uh, yes, opening up your heart is a challenge. Opening up all of our hearts is a challenge. The more, the, if you start to, if you're finding the opening up your heart and diving into that space is a challenge, um, start to look at asking the question like, why, why am I not doing that? Like what's holding me back? Is it an idea that I'll be hurt or is it an idea that there's a reservoir of this and I don't want to run out? The more you open and crack open your heart, the more you realize how abundant love is. Love doesn't come from us. It really moves through us um, as does consciousness. Uh, everything is actually a flow through us. So if you think of it like a conduit and the more you open up that conduit, the beautiful and the more bigger the experience is, you actually just attract more and more of it. It's a lovely way to do that. Um, oh, I'm going to have to sit and go through all this feedback. It's so exquisite. So thank you so much to you all. I really hope, um, there's some, some loveliness in there. Um, and I look forward to connecting with you guys just briefly. If you want to learn meditation with me, jump on the website. You can see everything you need there. Um, soon we'll be launching, um, I'm recording it this week an online beginners mantra based practice, which will be really helpful if you want to just dip your toe in 
and you're not ready commit to commit to getting your um, your own personal mantra. So, um, but also we've got so much online. Download the High Vibe program. It's gifted to you if you can't um, afford to donate. If you want to donate, I'd love that, obviously. Um, and uh, helps keep all of this kind of thing rolling and helps me pay my team so that they can actually work out the tech side of things, which I don't know. <laughs> um, and big love. Uh, please don't hesitate to send me an email. Um, and I'd love to connect with you as well on Instagram if you're there. Bye, everyone. <laughs>